The Hub is a community. Manuscript, book, and print cultures. Stamping problems. You are listening to a podcast by the Trinity Long Room Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. The Hub is a space celebrating tenure through the community. The Hub is about impact. Welcome everybody to the Art Science Salon. My name is Autumn Brown. Uh, here with me today is my co-host, co-founder, uh, partner in crime, Amelia McConville. Uh, before we jump into our guest talk, just wanted to extend a really, really warm welcome to everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, we are going to a bi-monthly schedule, but each time we're gonna have different guests from artists, scientists, technologists, creatives, people who are working across disciplines to do interesting work and push the boundaries of knowledge and knowledge making. So before we jump into today's talk, uh, just to thank Science Gallery Dublin and the Trinity Long Room Hub here at Trinity College in Dublin uh, for supporting us and yeah, letting us continue to do this extraordinary work and spend time with you all. As we go forward, be sure to use the chat and the Q&A. We want to talk to y'all. We want to answer your questions. We want to hear what you have to say about this event today. Um, so don't be shy. I'm an interdisciplinary researcher looking at the impacts of art science um, on the kind of science learning that we do in the wild that is outside of school. Um, I'll let my co-host and co-founder introduce herself and tell you a little bit about her research. Amelia? Thanks, Emil Autumn. Um, thanks so much for the introduction and welcome everyone. Um, I'll get on to introducing our fantastic guest here tonight. Uh, but first of all, just wanted to say, as ever, thank you so much to Science Gallery Dublin and Trinity Longroom Hub for hosting us, uh, for giving us a platform to do this and for helping us grow into the from into, from the Art Science Reading Group, which is the project that Autumn and I started just over a year ago um, when the pandemic uh, kicked off, uh, helping us grow and mutate it into um, the Art Plus Science Salon, which we're so happy to have our new logo, which you hopefully saw there on the holding slide or maybe in some of the promotional materials. So we're really excited to be proceeding with our new look um, and with such a fantastic the guests with us here tonight. Um, so before I introduce Tia, who's our, um, our special guest uh, that we're going to be speaking to um, about all sorts of things, um, I just wanted to say obviously thank you to my co-host Autumn, thank you to The Hub and to Science Gallery, but also thank you to um, a really wonderful supporter of our series, um, Dr Rivka Isaacson, who's, who's I think with us in the audience tonight, I hope, um, who first uh, actually gave us the idea to, to interview uh, Tia because herself and Tia had met before doing various different um, art science collaborations and conferences. Um, so yeah, yeah, just thank you so much to Rivka, who's been um, an amazing supporter of the, the series so far. Um, and yeah, just we probably probably would not be right here at this moment uh, here without you. Um, so yeah, basically tonight, uh, as, as you guys know, the uh, our event tonight is called the Genetics of Music. So we're going to be speaking, I suppose, to Tia, first of all, a, bit, a little bit about her practice in general, about a specific project that um, explores the genetics of music. And then we're going to move the conversation more towards a wider, I suppose, uh, throw the sort of uh, the net out a little bit wider um, to, uh, to, to incorporate a conversation about globalization and music, the actual evolution of music. So moving a little bit from the specifics of the genetics of music in relation to this project towards um, a much wider, Sort of uh, discussion about where music is at today, um, the influence of algorithmic bias, for example, streaming services upon music. Um, we're really hoping for a very active Q&A um, within the session, so we would urge audience members to be posting um, 
as much as possible um, throughout the conversation. Um, and then when we switch over to our uh, to our Q&A or audience Q&A, um, feel free to post uh, those those particular questions or even just comments, points, ideas um, in the Q&A function. Um, and we will pose as many of your questions as possible to Tia. Um, I suppose, yeah, like I, I suppose there's not too much else to say um, other than we're going to we're going to get started fairly soon. So I'm going to just briefly introduce Tia, um, who's our guest uh, with us tonight. So Tia is a cross-disciplinary artist whose practice embraces visual art, music, science and performance. Through her work, she advocates, advocates subversively for connection, unity, peace and understanding. She's a multi-instrumental musician, former jewellery designer and former molecular biologist. She graduated with a PhD in molecular biology at the University of British Columbia and worked as a postdoctoral researcher of genetics, molecular biology, biochemistry and genomics at the University of Miami in the US and at Chagask in Ireland. She's currently based in Kilkenny, Ireland. Um, Tia, thank you so much for joining us. We're absolutely thrilled to have you with us. Um, I suppose maybe we could move, like, if you want to say a, a brief couple of words about yourself first, and then I, I guess if you're very happy to move on to the first question, we would love to hear a little bit about this project, the genetics of music, um, that you, uh, I suppose, co-founded and co-developed with Christopher Hanuza. Wow. <laughs> Thanks, Autumn and Amelia. I'm thrilled to get to be here. Uh, thank you for inviting me. Um, yeah, let's just get started with the first question, will we? That's amazing to you. Yeah. So our first question, I suppose, just to frame it a little bit, um, a little bit more specifically for you. So how did the idea for this project with mathematician and artist Christopher Hanuza come about? Um, we were responding to a call out from the MIT Museum. They are putting on an exhibition called Altered Nature. And it's about the biotechnologies, the new uber powerful biotechnologies like gene editing, um, gene synthesis, sequencing. And people are nervous because they hear stories, you know, of developing a class of superhumans through biotechnology that uh, will leave the rest of us behind or there's um, kind of like a, a invasion of privacy type thing once all our DNA sequences are on file and people can get to know us better than we know ourselves. But um, so, uh, MIT was looking for artist science, artist slash scientific researcher collaborations to come up with projects that would sort of um, shine light on the ethics and the implications, the risks and the, um, the responsibilities. So yeah, that's what, um, that's where we started. Well, let me tell you a little bit about the project. Maybe, Cleva, we could get the first slide, please. And also, while we're pulling up that slide, could you tell us, too, a little bit about how you hooked up with uh, Christopher as a kind of co-creator, co-conspirator? Yes. yes, I found Chris on the internet. <laughs> I was looking for somebody for to program another one of my projects, and it, it was something I had been working on for, for years, doing it by hand. And I've been looking for someone to program it. And uh, I found Chris and Chris wrote the program in about half an hour. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Collaborator from heaven. So yeah, we've done a couple things together. Um, and he sent me an email saying, you know, MIT is having this thing. Do you have anything that might, uh, you know, do you have any ideas? So we started building this genetics and music together. So um, let me just describe what we're looking at before I talk about it. Um, 
So in this slide on the lower right, it says genetics of music, Tia Valani and Christopher Hanusa. We're looking at a big white room and there's some people staring at the, like randomers, um, uh, staring at the back wall. On the back, the back wall is divided into two halves, right and left. And on the left side, it says genetics of music. And there are two horizontal lines um, with colored bars strung out across them like beads on a, on a string. And underneath that, we have some iPad stations with headphones. And then on the right side is a human-sized touch screen with some kind of uh, bubble diagram that looks like a bunch of colored circles all, all mashed together. So genetics of music is an installation and a, an online experience if we decide to go that way. Um, and it's uh, where we use music as a metaphor for genetic engineering and what happens to GMOs as they evolve naturally, because we can't keep them contained the whole time. Um, so you play the role of the genetic engineer. And the, the whole project starts with one piece of music. If we get the gig from MIT, it'll be the MIT theme song. Um, if we don't, maybe the science gallery will pick up. And we can do the Trinity theme song. Does Trinity have a theme song? <laughs> That's a really good question. I have no idea. Uh, if we don't, we should, or maybe you can write it for us. Uh-huh. <laughs> you got it. So, um, <clears throat> you get to be the genetic engineer and you mutate the music. You can create as many mutants as you want. Christopher's um, algorithm will uh, allow you to do this. You can create as many mutants as you want. And then when you get to one you like, you throw it into the pool. And the pool has other mutant music that other genetic engineers have also made. At this point, you lose control because then anybody can come along and vote on, on the music in the pool, including yourself. But uh, chances that you will hear that you'll get fed back your own tune are pretty small when the pool is big enough. So little by little, when we start with the one song that's on the left side there, we'll end up with a whole bunch of different kinds of music um, that all derived from the same single piece of music. If we put this online, that may end up being kind of global. Like, so we might have regional differences and we might you know, keep track of all that stuff in some kind of infographic type thing. But we'll see how that goes. Um, can we please switch slides? So these, oh, sorry, I have to say what we're looking at. Um, we're looking at two horizontal, <laughs> two horizontal lines um, with uh, uh, colored rectangles across them. And they say, groove, tempo, dynamic, resonance, articulation, color, tonality, genre, time signature, melody, and density. So this is the way humans have characteristics, like the classic one people use is eye color, and it comes in different uh, like variables, variables, variations, like blue and brown. 
That's the same with music. Music has properties. These that we've listed here are just some of them and um, variations of the properties. So I'm gonna go through these a little bit. Um, just cause. Um, the first um, gene, the first music gene, groove, um, is we've, the, the possibilities we've written down are straight, syncopated, and downright funky. Sometimes, sometimes when I'm writing a proposal, I'll just put in these smart ass comments with the intention of taking them out later. Um, but when I'm writing with Chris, I get kind of lax because I figure that he'll catch up. <laughs> I think that one made it through. But anyway, so straight, when um, notes hit pretty much right on the beat. So for example, um, oh, Canada. Na, 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 na. So that's pretty, you know, straight. Um, syncopated is like, mo like some of the notes come on the beat and some of the notes will come on the, the weak beats or the off beats. So like um, the theme song for the Flintstones. Na, 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 na. Na, 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 right? Um, funky, we all know. We all know funky. Um, let's see. <laughs> Look for the bare necessities, simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your strife. Yeah, man. Um, another one that goes under groove would be like swing. I'm getting into this now. <laughs> swing. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. So like that, yeah. So the next gene over is tempo and the choices that we've written there, fast, medium, slow, dynamics, soft, loud, loud, soft, or variable during the piece. Next gene over is resonance, which, you know, the way you're shouting across a, a lake or something, there's a lot of resonance. Or if you're standing inside a tin can, then you would get a lingering resonance. Or if you're, as opposed to if you're in the woods, then you get something kind of clicked. Articulation, the smooth or detached. Um, if it's smooth, it's like articulation, but if it's detached, it's like articulation. Color, when I say color, I mean tone color. Tone color is an interesting property of music, um, kind of hard to describe, unless you get into talking about acoustics and psychoacoustics and all that psycho. Yeah, psychoacoustics. Um, but it's it's easily demonstrated by saying that if a whole bunch of instruments play the same note, you can tell what instrument it is because of the difference in tone color. So the instruments um, I've listed here are guitar, erhu, which is a stringed, two-stringed Chinese um, instrument that you bow. Um, one of my kids had one. I played it for a while. Ukulele, didgeridoo, which we all know, um, the hollowed out giant log that you blow across and it makes that kind of subwoofer drone and trumpet. So on the second chromosome, we have um, five genes. Tonality is the first one. Tonality is the handful of notes that go into making up a song, basically. Um, like the major scale, we all know do, re, mi, fa, do, 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 re, mi, fa, so, la, di, do. Um, the eight notes of the major scale. Bairavi is one of the Indian, and I say scale in quotation marks because they're not, they're not really scales. 
Indian music has a lot of in-betweener tones. But uh, I put that Indian one in there for my dad because he used to like listening to Indian music. And the Aeolian mode is Greek. That, for the musicians out there, um, is the natural minor. And the Locrian mode is it's also another eight-tone scale type thing that sounds a bit different. Genre, genre is an interesting uh, property of music. It's almost impossible to define it nowadays. Um, but what I've, I've written here is K-pop, sukus, jazz, reggae, classical, and salsa. Time signature, a couple of examples of time signature are waltz, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, jig, rashers and sausages, rashers and sausages, except only Irish people can say that. So I say carrots and cabbages, carrots and cabbages. Um, polka, one, two, one, two, one, two. Um, shuffle, I don't know what shuffle is. Sega is the national music of my mother's country, Mauritius. And it's way cool. It, it's based, it's a kind of a dance thing that's accompanied by a drum, a giant drum. Uh, melody is the next gene over, and that's just the tune, tune one, two, three, four, five. And then density, you can talk about the, you can talk about textural density, which refers to how many instruments are playing, and melodic density, so how many tunes are going through the music at the same time, or rhythmic density. And when I play the examples at the end, um, one of the pieces has a different rhythmic density and that just refers to the complexity of the rhythm so if the if the rhythm is complex then it's more dense um i think we can move on and tia i might jump in and ask a question as a great appreciator of music but somebody who never actually formally studied it myself when it comes to those categories that you you just explained in the previous slide is this sort of like a music scholarship uh, like, like, how did you decide upon those? Was that your own determination in terms of the properties of the qualities of music that you wanted to include? Or is this a more sort of like textbook? This is, these are the properties of music that we are expected to know as I uh, No, 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 it's not scholarly at all. We chose okay. those because we would have to um, program them. And, and, and you need to be sub something that was sort of simple enough that when Chris wrote the program, we would be able to mutate randomly these properties of music. Right. So it's, so it's kind of envisioned with this idea that it would be most compatible with the code that Chris is writing. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Exactly. Great. <laughs> so was that too technical? Sorry. <laughs> so what we're looking at now is, is what, now we're zooming in on the iPads that were on the, the main, the full exhibition. Um, and it says music mutation time. So iPads are where you're going to do the dirty work, where you actually make the mutant music. It says, now it's your turn to be the genetic engineer. Your fellow visitors decided that they liked the tune on the left. Choose one of its elements to mutate. Once you're satisfied with your modification, save it for other visitors to vote on. Um, so we're also, also on the iPad, we can see two play buttons. One says, play current song. And the other one says, play your, it says mutation, but it should be mutant. Um, and then in the middle are um, the buttons where the word on the button corresponds to the gene. So it's again, groove, tempo, dynamics, resonance, articulation, color, tonality, genre, time signature, melody, density. And the last one says random for people who don't want to decide which property to mutate, they just want to hit in the button. And then, um, then you can submit your piece once you've 
sound when you like. Um, so let's go to the next slide, please. What we're looking at here is kind of a big version of what was on the touch screen in the original um, mock-up that I showed you. It's again, a branching diagram where it's basically hidden by colored circles. And there's an arrow at the left side that says start here. And there's an arrow on the top that says go that way. Um, if you notice the circle on the far left, that would be the first song. And there are five circles butting off of it. Four of them are small, and those would have been mutants that somebody made that didn't get very many votes. Because the more votes the song gets, the bigger the bubble gets. So one of them is quite large. And then that continues on to be mutated and evolve. Anything else you want to say about that slide? Um, oh, yeah. So when you're on the touch screen, you can touch the bubbles to hear the music. And you can also see where, you know, if you touch one of the pieces that's kind of farther on in the, in the evolution, it'll trace back the line to where it originally came from. Okay, now we can switch again. So what we're looking at is a, a, sort of like a small version of the bubble diagram with just five circles and two paths. One path goes one, two, three, and the other path goes one, two, four, five, because two had two pieces of music made off of it. And underneath that is a stretched out version of that, what I just described, so that I can explain it better. So um, in the in the branch, in the stretched out version of it, um, there's number one in a white circle, pointing to number two in a purple circle. And then that divides into number three in a green circle and number four in an aqua circle. And then number four has an arrow opposed to um, kind of a pinkish circle with number five in it. So the color comes from which gene was muta mutated to give rise to that piece of music. <clears throat> so what we're going to hear is song number one. Actually, we're going to hear the major scale first and song number one. And then we'll hear the new scale because tonality was the gene that was mutated to give rise to song number two. And we'll hear the scale, and then we'll hear song, and then we'll hear song number three that has a mutated density. So, would you be able to play that for us, Viva? Now here's the new scale. And song two. And now song with density mutated.
Thank you. Fun, fun to hear it again, or is that good? It's so funny. It's, yeah, it's it, it's great. I, I totally see what you mean. It how once you play the actual track at the end, it sort of ties together what what you're what you were explaining to us about putting it all together. Um, and having the different kind of variations. Um, mm -hmm. I almost said variants there, which is not a word we're very happy using at the moment, but hey, the different variation and the, the movement earlier on, like you were showing us in the previous slide, the impact mm -hmm. final tune. Uh, and is the idea to you then that like this would be, like, would you see this more of a sort of educational tool or is it is it playful or serious? I know when we first had a couple of initial conversations about this, um, this, this project of yours, we were kind of, you know, we were wondering about what side it falls down on. Does it necessarily have to fall down on one or the other? Is it educational? Is it entertainment? Yeah, it's all. It's, it's deadly serious and it's deadly playful. You can look at it either way. You can just play with it or you can, you know, get the deeper message. Yeah, I mean, people love to learn. So yeah, it's both. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Okay, so then we have one more audio and then I'll stop talking. <laughs> um, okay, don't, don't, don't play yet. <laughs> All right, so for the second audio, we're tracing the evolutionary history of song number five. So song number five came from the same original tune, one, and then we'll hear tune number two again. And then tune number two has the tempo mutated to give to, um, Tune number four, and then genre gets mutated to give rise to tune number five. Okay, now we can play it. Actually, I'll say one more thing before we go to questions. Um, this nautics of music is, is kind of a two-way metaphor. On the one hand, we've got music being used um, to, as, as a metaphor for uh, genetic engineering, evolution. Um, but on the other hand, we've also, it's kind of like a biological metaphor for how to write, how to create art. Not that people normally do it this way, but you know, it could be seen that way. So that's it. Thank you. <laughs> All right. I should say that before this event started, Tia shared the audio with myself and Amelia. So we got to listen to it beforehand. And every single time we get to the rock one, I don't know why it always makes me smile. I love the idea of being in a museum, even the MIT museum, and just having that like <sighs> blast me in the, in the eardrums. There's just something about that that I find, I don't know. It just makes my skin shine and my eyes sparkle. <laughs> I love that. 
Um, and I love this idea of something that can be both playful and serious. I think the heaviest things and the things that are really the most impactful and interesting in terms of the way we ask questions are things that encourage play. And this seems to be the sort of thing that you're inviting folks to like touch and interact with. The whole point is that people are actually shaping the piece as they go. Mm -hmm. um, so before we jump into uh, questions, just to remind the audience, if you do have cues, um, we've got some A's, so do pop, uh, pop them into the chat or in the Q&A function and we will get to them. Um, but I wondered if you could speak to a little bit uh, about the audience interactions with this piece and also like we've heard people say in previous chats that they feel like a piece isn't complete until it has an audience or until an audience has interacted with it. Um, kind of how do you feel about that? Yeah. <laughs> is the piece complete? Is the piece complete of a musician? Like, yeah, like before an audience starts to interact with the piece, um, is it really complete for you? Or does it need the audience? I actually don't need the audience, but um, I don't know. When I write music, it, it really writes itself. I don't really write it. It, it just falls into my head and I hear it and then it goes onto the onto the beat music or whatever. And when I hear that it's right, it's just done. And I don't I just love it. <laughs> I don't even mind I don't even mind if, if nobody likes it because it gives me so much satisfaction just to write it. And if no even if nobody ever heard it, I'd still be delighted. I'm sure that's not a very socially minded way to write music, but that's how it is. No, but I think that's cool. You're making it for the sake of, of, of making it. I love that. I think it's really cool. Um, particularly in relation to this piece music. as well. Yeah, I, I think particularly in relation to this, in particularly in relation to this piece as well, the, the kind of, I, I really like the kind of quite democratizing impulse there of, you know, anybody can just walk up and even the fact that it, like even the way you've described the exhibition setup, the idea that anybody can just walk up and do it. It's not necessarily a sort of like book in your slot or do this, whatever. I, I just I, I really like that kind of that, that way that it's both informative and educational and entertaining, as, as you say, straddling that line between um, the playful and the serious is, is a really quite, a, quite impressive feat for, for a project like this. Well, and also I think it gives people a great deal of creative power because people always think they can't, you know, they're not, they're not artistic or they're not creative. But here, you know, all you have to do is push a bunch of buttons, and you're like, I wrote this. I mean, I just, I wrote this, and what a great sense of power. I think that people will go out of the exhibition just being high from having created something. Yeah, it is democratizing. Go ahead, Autumn. Well, I was going to say kind of on that subject of like power and agency, music is the sort of thing that gives voice to individuals, groups, folks who often are denied access to other platforms, um, other ways to express themselves. Uh, this is something that we were talking about a little bit before the event kicked off, but how do you think the work speaks to the ways in which this inherent power might be magnified or mollified or watered down uh, through the choices that we make on platforms like Spotify, like SoundCloud, and um, when music is such a source of, such a platform of power for people who often don't have access to other ways to communicate messages in such a big way. I think, I think music has always, it's always been kind of two, two things. There's, it's always had kind of a gatekeeper, at least in the West. Um, there's been venues or, or opera houses or radio 
there's always been somebody deciding, promoters deciding who gets heard and who doesn't. And I think Spotify is a little bit like that. Um, in, the, in the East and in Africa, it's not quite so much. There's it's more people playing in communities. It's not quite so audience there, listeners here. I mean, did I just say, no, musicians here, audience there. Um, but um, I mean, with, with Spotify, they get to control what you're hearing because it's their algorithms that are feeding you the suggestions. Spotify is quite different. Spotify is more, it's kind of half streaming and half uh, social media. Um, I, haven't, I haven't used Spotify, I've used Spotify as a musician, but not as a listener, but you can put, you can put um, half finished stuff and just leave it on a private link and you can share it with your friends so that you can get feedback. And there's ways to like, um, you know, you can, you can mark at one minute and 18 seconds and then write a comment, you know, sounds really good or, you know, you made a mistake here or whatever. So um, yeah, it's more, it's more on the ground, power on the ground. No, of course. I'm quite interested by um what you said, like mentioning Spotify. Spotify is, you know, it, I, I think it's such a fascinating platform and it's one that I feel quite conflicted about because on the one hand, it enables you to have this immense database of uh, all the music you could wish wish for at, at the, you know, the at, at the, like just at, at a, a moment's notice, you can access all this music. But at the same time, I'm quite aware of First of all, both of the kind of their their pretty woeful track history and track record of, of paying artists properly for the music that they that they then profit off of. But then also, I'm quite aware that with you know with like you mentioned algorithmic bias there and stuff. And I, I think with streaming services like Spotify, there's this kind of move towards even though they they're kind of positioning themselves as as the sort of discover you know there's you have your just curated playlists and you have your discover weekly. There's still within that algorithmic bias and that feedback loop. I think that there's that kind of move towards this homogenizing of personal taste by creating this sort of feedback but preferred sounds or moods um, and I just I'm really interested maybe as an artist working with music and in music you could you could talk a little bit more about what you think about that um, or maybe in relation to this project or just in terms of what you think of that in general um, I think I, th I think the algorithms are kind of in their infancy to be honest I think um, as time goes on hopefully Spotify listen listen up I think if they have algorithms that are like you can like filters where you can say um, please only play me um, musicians with fewer than 50 or 100 followers then you'll be on purpose finding new music or you know somebody who has only had their stuff on for a year or two or you know stuff like that or somebody who's or under genre does nothing or experimental or you know just something totally strange have that yet obviously they're just feeding you stuff that's, that's popular but um but maybe someday it'll work the other way it'll be a way to discover people cool um amelia and i have a bunch of questions ourselves but it's about that time to switch over to audience cues um so I look at the Q&A, Alexandra Corey asks, how do you think culture comes into play with regard to the audience choices in music, if at all? What patterns, I suppose, do you expect to see in the interactive piece? Um, well, yeah, it depends where we place it. As I was saying, excuse me. <laughs> I think there will be regional, um, 
sounds in in terms of like tonalities i think um there's so much homogenization of musical taste now it'll be you, oh, you know what how about this i have no idea it'll be really interesting to do the experiment <laughs> so yeah I feel like there's definitely scope to collate like we, actually that is a question I had I meant to ask you a little bit earlier that I was wondering will you will yourself and Christopher collate the data from the creations the musical creations that people make like is there going to be a sort of inbuilt saving system in which you can gather data about people's preferences like would that potentially be combined with I mean I mean we might be straying into kind of some sort of like GDP or ethical dilemmas here but like would that be maybe paired with with um, the profile of the person like maybe age or or any of that kind of thing would that factor in? Exactly something that we were thinking about. We we were talking to um, a guy who, uh, what's his name, Danny Danny Wu, uh, Chris, a friend of Christopher, who is a UX UI guy. But you're right. Like if we wanted to do any kind of demographic, uh, informational type thing, um, yeah, we'd have to ask people personal questions. But um, we will try to finesse that when the time comes, because it would really be cool to keep track of some of that stuff. Absolutely. We have a great question, actually, and one that I was kind of thinking myself, so I'm going to rather selfishly uh, prioritize this question um, in terms of just the educational component of the project um, and of the exhibition. So uh, we have a question from Paige Haganov, and Paige asks, was the original intention to create something that would work in a gallery exhibition set setting and online, or has this potential online version been informed by the pandemic era? And then the follow-up question is, regardless, I think it would work great in a classroom setting. Do you have a vision at all for how you might translate it to an online or app-based version? Ooh, Paige. Um, yes, we've talked about the online one. Hmm. Oh, that would be cool. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, yes, app. We'll get someone to do that, yeah. It, it has the potential to be absolutely huge. Because, you know, can you imagine just keeping this going for a couple of years and how cool the end, you know, the music at the end would be? Um, what was the rest of the question? I missed some of it. Uh, educational. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I haven't been in a classroom for a long time, but I, I mean, it does have an educational component. So presumably yeah. science teachers sure. can change it to suit them and music teachers could change it to suit them. Or, or um, you know, maybe a sci art classes are a thing now, sci art courses. Maybe it would fit in something like yeah, that. I think it would be amazing because I'm even just thinking of a couple of documentaries that I recently saw, you know, that about because obviously you know, a, lot, a lot of schools um, now, you know, are iPad schools or they use kind of online resources like this in ways um, and the, the kind of the, the, the length of breadth of educational tools available are, are really spectacular now, even compared to when I was in school. Um, and I was just thinking because I, I saw a great documentary recently, which I suppose explored the art, art history via iPads and via these different programs. And it enabled students in the ed, in an educational context to literally like place themselves inside the, the, the works of great artists. So you have a student walking around Van Gogh's Starry Night or you have somebody stepping into a frame with the oh, Mona Lisa. Wow. And, and in that kind of and I think in that kind of sense, it would be amazing to to, to, to do something like this where it's it's integrated into a sort of educational tool to um to, to like to, to help people learn about music or genetics or as you say music and genetics mm. in the same sort of way because the metaphors so beautifully inform each other and i think too that it kind of builds on a question that uh one of our star attendees asked so Rivka Isaacson says i'm wondering whether this can be taken even further to depict increasing levels of complexity gene regulation enhancers and repressors, even maybe lifestyle switching in C-deaf, et cetera. So 
yeah, do you have visions for how broadly this tool might be used and what kind of increasingly complex metaphors it might be used to explore? That, that is an interesting idea. I'd really have to think about screen regulation kind of falls off the music metaphor fairly quickly, but I, I think there probably would be ways to work it in. Like if you divided up the piece of music into sections, like screen regulation has a separate DNA. I don't want to get technical, but yes, I'm sure that we could, I'm sure we could work in different aspects of genetics and more complicated, um, maybe even some mRNA uh, stuff in there. Actually, we really could. We really could. If we had the money, maybe we'll just do it anyway. Rivka, give me a call. <laughs> um, we've also got another question um, here from Sean Usher. Would you have any comment of genes conserved across species uh, that result in their interactions with music? So our audience, if you want to get technical, our audience will go there with you. This is the nerdy crew, just go for it. <laughs> Could you please say, say the question again? So Sean asks, would you have any comment about genes conserved across species that result in their interactions oh, with music? Yeah. I'm not sure I understand the question, but can I, can I tangentially do a thing off of there? Yeah. Um, I'm actually involved in, in another project with Kritika uh, Subramaniam where we do use um, evolutionary conservation and music. So in that case, we've, let's see, we use a music metaphor. We're using Don't Worry, Be Happy by Bobby McFerrin, um, where we kind of plot it against the happiness gene, the cert, serotonin transporter gene. So the parts that are similar across many, many organisms, we keep the um, same in the music. And then in parts where the gene diverges a lot, um, we change the music. So this is just something we actually just submitted it to Science Gallery Bengaluru a couple of days ago in India. Cool. So you might hear more more about that. <laughs> Good luck. I have no. So I don't know if that answered the question, but. <laughs> no, I have no answers Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> We have another quite technical question that's come in from Bob Semple that I, I have to ask. Um, so Bob asks, have you thought about some novel GMO that would add genes to enable the original tune to be represented as lights or sensation, brackets haptics? Not sure how it's, you would translate it to tastes or beyond. So Bob is kind of asking there about like bringing it beyond the realm, I suppose, of just the musical, the aural um, and integrating other sort of senses in there. Is that is that maybe a, another component of the project you'd envision? I hadn't, but it, it is possible. Yeah, I love metaphors. Just keep on adding layers. It keeps my brain happy. Yeah. <laughs> we'll keep that one in the chat. Come back to it. Thanks, Bob. We have another question from Sheetlin Balani who asks, can we hear some more about the applications, i.e. playful and serious? So kind of calling back to, um, to our conversation at the start, the applications, I suppose, of, of the individual tunes applications of individual tunes the application the applications of the project i, I think the question oh, is just oh, okay. that so like could we use yeah. like like uh, it, use it in a playful context or a serious context i guess 
It says, sorry, I didn't see the other questions. Paige and Rifa asked that much better than I did. <laughs> Was that from Shailen? <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'm, uh, I'm not sure I understand the question, but no, no, I, I see it as equally, equal parts playful and serious, I guess. And you can take it any, any way you want when you go into the museum and play it or serious it. Cool. Um, I think Isolde has a really amazing question um, over here in the q and I love this. Can you think of a tune that only uses four notes corresponding to A, C, T, G? Um, I love that question. People have done that and it sounds horrible. People have what? actually played genes, like a specific gene, and it, it just it sounds like random nothing noise. It's a cool idea. It's a very cool idea. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Um, previous, to this, um, previous to Genetics of Music, I was doing a project with um, Luke Seisel, where we, we actually did have um, one, one note representing, wait, 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 no, what we did was, um, when we did the mutations, we didn't mutate genre and, and tempo and all that, we actually mutated the individual notes in exactly the same way that DNA gets mutated in nature. So like in, in nature, DNA can have single, single note, single note, single point deletions. And we would have done that in the music or sometimes it has lots of DNA will be flipped, flipped over. So we would do that with the music and, uh, and so we evolved music like that. And, and we ended up with a piece that Luke liked and put on one of the CDs at the end of it all. Cool. Um, do you think this is the future of music creation? This is Paul Holmes' question. Is this where we're all going? Are we all going to be in this kind of like wild virtual space where we're all collaborating and making decisions and upvoting certain features and downvoting other features? It almost sounds like the way we deal with truth um, on Twitter. Yes. Timely, man. It's the kind of thing that's infiltrating a lot of stuff that we do, that whole pattern. Yeah. Like voting and saying the truth. Yeah. yeah. Do you do you want that to be the future future of music? What is your opinion on that? Cool addition. It doesn't have to take over. <laughs> I think it would be just so, so, so interesting to see what ends up happening. What wouldn't it be cool if after years of doing this? The one, the one song that made it through this whole thing was Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and that you just didn't do any better than that. You know, who knows what's going to happen? <laughs> yeah, it's, I think it's, it's cool. I don't think most, I don't think most people who write music. Actually, wait, wait a minute. Maybe we use it already because we come up with an idea. An artist will come up with an idea, right? And then you mutate it. You have secondary ideas, some of which you reject and they go extinct and some of which you accept. And you keep working on those and working on those and working on those and you end up with a body of work or a whole bunch of ideas, a whole bunch of projects at the end that all came from one idea. Ha! So maybe we're doing it already. <laughs> maybe not so specifically though. This, this metaphor knows no bounds. <laughs> It'll expand and incorporate <laughs> everything. <It's really laughs> Um, we have a question from um, Bob Papau, um, who uh, I, may be a colleague of yours, uh, Tia, because he asks, uh, how do you improve 
So is that a, is that a component of, of your artistic practice that you'd be willing to, to, to talk about? You froze there for a second, Amelia. Could you please say it again? Oh, yeah, my mistake. Uh, I hope you can hear me now. I'm just gonna ask, so I had a question from Bob Pau, who says, how do you employ the genetic principles of music making in your image making, i.e. in your paintings? And that, that question comes in from Bob. Um, so do, do you make paintings here? Is this a, is this a component do, yes, of, of your yes. practice? Um, Bob, I met okay. Bob no, no. 25 years ago. <laughs> he was my, he was my first, uh, first time I ever studied painting. I was a weekend workshop with Bob, but um, no, I don't use that principle in my painting at all. Okay, no problem. Uh, apologies for the loss, lock, the loss of my video here, um, just because my, my signal has gone a little bit tricky. So we're just going to have me as a disembodied voice for the moment. Um, we have a question, an interesting question that comes in that kind of uh, harkens back a little bit to my question earlier um, uh, to you, Tia, about the homogenizing of personal taste and the kind of like refining of, I suppose, personal music playlists curated by, by uh, apps such as Spotify into kind of this sort of homogenized unified sound or mood but somebody asks why has music become so similar sounding it seems there's only one genre to th these days is that something you're aware mm -hmm. of um and if so mm -hmm. maybe you could comment a little bit on why or how yeah um i think globalization has a lot to do with that um i mean it used to be that music was just separated in in space and in, and in time, like if you, if you think of a, of a genre, say, I don't know, jazz or something, it wasn't just the way the music sounded. It was where it came from, history, the culture, where it was geographically. Now geographic doesn't mean anything. We're all, it's like we're, like the genre used to be like trees. They're rooted in place. The music would change, but it would still come from the same origin. But now we're up in the canopy where everybody can see everything. And so it looks kind of homogeneous up there. Yeah, I don't know. I think I, that's what I think. There's just globalization. Yep, really interesting question. Um, I, I re really inter interesting question and interesting answer um, to the question. I mean, uh, upon globalize, I mean, could you say a little bit more about the influence of globalization maybe on musical musical genres? I mean, I think there's very strong arguments to be made um, both for and against this idea of, of the Im impact that maybe it's having upon musical genres. But maybe is there a particular genre that you are aware of that you feel it's a good thing or it's a bad thing? Because it's an interesting question. And, and I think one that's only going to continue to get more pertinent. I don't know. I think it's fun. It's all fun. I, I'm not a scholar. I just <laughs> I like music. I like stuff that sounds different. I like stuff that sounds the same. I don't usually think about why it got there, how it got there. I just, yeah. And yeah, of course, there's still, you can tell the differences between some types of music, but um, um, yeah, it's become so difficult to, to pin genres on anything because they don't have a cluster of things that keep them together. Obviously not the history, but not the sounds either or the, or the particular instrumentation or whatever. So. In terms of the nature of your work, um, there's a lot of pressure right now to talk about interdisciplinary research, transdisciplinary research, multidisciplinary research, whatever the hell that means. How would you classify your work? Is it, is it sci art? Um, is, it, is it music multimedia art? Like, how would you define it? And also, 
kind of along that vein, how do you feel about those, those monikers of multidisciplinary, transdisciplinary, interdisciplinary? Is that important to you um, as, as a creative to use those words or to describe your work or your process as something that is inter multi or transdisciplinary? Or is that kind of, I don't know, something that should live and die in the ivory tower? Um, not in the ivory tower. I, I don't have, I don't, I don't do the work I do to make it cross-disciplinary or transdisciplinary. This metaphor and analogy is my favorite thing. It just happens. But um, I think I do think it's high time to have to have cross-disciplinary, transdisciplinary, interdisciplinary conversations. I mean, disciplines were kind of a new thing, weren't they? It used to be, you know, natural science or you know, everything was everything. Um, I think that over-specialization maybe has taken some of our power away. Sure. But I don't just do, I wouldn't say I just do sci art. I do, I do stuff that's half music and half visual art or part visual art, part dance, part performance, part music. So it's not all sci art. I've only got a couple of maybe three sci art projects. Okay. And do you think that, kind of speaking to what you just said, do you think those disciplinary distinctions are things that we should now start to kind of move away from altogether? Like instead of saying something is sci art, should we just call it art? Or should we just call it knowledge making? Or should we just call it exploration or a new way of, of learning or creating knowledge? No, there's definitely a place to, a place to keep departments because um, scientists, you study uh, probably other disciplines as well, you study deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into a thing. And you can't do that if everything is you know, surface um, discipline to discipline. You, but some, some portion of society has to get into the deep learning side of things, I think. Do you, so for this particular piece of work, are you, are you visualizing this as something that is maybe like an open door into just exploring kind of the evolution of music or different kinds of metaphor? Or do you hope that this becomes a doorway into science or to music? Um, what are you hoping when the audience interacts with the piece and then walks back into their day-to-day -day life, what do you really want them to take with them away from the piece? Whatever they want. <laughs> I mean, we wrote it to be of educational for genetics and genetic engineering and um and thinking about sort of the political-ish aspects of that you know evolution and all that kind of stuff um but it's only when when i started talking to you guys to be honest that i thought of it as more of a music project and a and a creative joy type thing i wasn't looking at it that way at all yeah, yeah whatever whatever they get out of it is fantastic <laughs> um, we have a question from Maylene Campbell, who comes in with uh, with an, actually another another question about the future of the project and the, the, the directions that it could take. So uh, Maylene asks, could the genetics of music be applied to other concepts based on perception, i.e. the genetics of a story? Are there other modes in which the genetics metaphor might be able to be extended or extended or expanded out into? Totally. <laughs> yes, you can make analogies of absolutely everything. Okay, say that one again, genetics and story, was it? Yeah, so, she, so Maylene asks, could the genetics of music be applied to other concepts based on perception, i.e. the genetics of a story? 
that is such a cool idea. Actually, it would work great with poetry. You know, starting with word soup and start at, oh, that's I was just thinking that. a cool idea. And actually, if you did that, you would generate a whole load of material from which you could do creative things. You know, it's just like having a huge bag of um, materials put down on the on the table in front of you and say, here, make something creative. There's this ton of really interesting, uh, weird stuff to work with. That's cool. I, I like that. Yes, we'll keep that. We just had somebody pop in the chat say, like magnetic fridge poetry genetics. <laughs> that should be the name of your next project. I can see that huge <laughs> on a big white wall in one of those white box galleries. I think that would be great. The reason that we wanted to invite you to the Art Science Salon isn't just because we had an audience member who recommended you and loved you. We do take those recommendations into account. So by the way, audience out there in the world, if there's somebody that you want to talk to, we want to create those spaces to make that possible. But I think what Amelia and I are looking for are folks who are pushing boundaries and encouraging people to step into a playful way of learning and a playful way of making knowledge. And I keep kind of using that phrase of making knowledge because we like to think that science is the only way or science has this privileged position of making facts or making knowledge. And but there are other ways to kind of learn about the universe and our place within it. And I think when we were speaking to you uh, before this event, we were really, really excited about this project that invites people to contribute. It's not just you making something, you're inviting other people to make something mm -hmm. with you, even when you're not there. And I think that that, you know, encouraging people to actually be part of the conversation is what excited us about the work that you are doing and are gonna continue doing. And I really, really hope that you you get the commission or you you get uh, the call for Science Gallery at Bangalore. That'd be really, really awesome. And Thank you. Yeah. I've been ignoring the chat. I'm so sorry, guys. Can we get <laughs> this magnetic fridge poetry genetics trending on Twitter? I mean, you know what? That's on you, audience, if that's what you want to do. I think that that's what you should do. Um, I, I will. I will jump in. The, the the mention of poetry and genetics definitely made my antenna perk up uh, because I like. I, so my my PhD research is actually on them, um, as we, as we've discussed previously, is is actually on poetry and neurohumanities together. So I'm always on the lookout for kind of very interesting uh, poetry and scientific combinations. And actually, if it's of interest to anybody, um, there is an experimental Canadian poet poet called uh, Christian Boke who actually encoded a poem into uh, the genetic. DNA of uh, a bacteria um, so that the idea very very conceptual obviously but the idea then is that the bacteria now I as, as an as a not scientist person I'm going to mess up the explanation if I attempt to go too in depth but I think the basic principle was that the, uh, the the bacteria then would replicate itself and thus replicate this poem that was encoded in some way into its into its DNA but it's fantastic and again if, if we um if we do some we'll, we'll definitely both myself and Autumn could can we'll, we'll tweet links to all these resources after our talk in terms of like a follow-up um, a follow-up uh, email or even just a follow-up tweet or whatever so you can find both of our handles on Twitter um, if you're interested in, in knowing a little bit more about that because I know it was particularly fascinating um, for me as somebody who's interested in poetry and science together. Excellent. So it looks like we are just about um, in time. So 
just wanted to thank everybody again for joining us for another Art Science Salon. We will be sharing more of these resources on our website and through email. If you have any questions, uh, do reach out to myself. Uh, to Amelia, Tia, where can people find you? Where can they find your work? My work? You'll have to come to my house. <laughs> do <No>. you? <laughs> Tiavalani.com is my website. It's um, kind of static. If you want to have more of a um, conversation or see something that's more bloggy and more current and uh, work in progress, then my Patreon. So patreon.com slash Tiavalani. Uh, and I've got a SoundCloud too. Um, SoundCloud.com slash Tia-Valani, I think it is. But, uh, but, there, but there are links on my website to, to all that stuff. And also actually, oh, let me say this. I started a SciArt discussion group. It's kind of dead at the moment, but if anybody wants to get into that, there's a link on my website. Thank you, Amelia and Autumn. Thank you, thank you, that was great crack. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you again to Science Gallery, the Trinity Long Room Hub uh, for your support um, and for the audience members for continuing to show up and ask really awesome questions. So <laughs> without further ado, uh, from our quarantine caves to yours, stay <laughs> curious, stay kind, and we will see you next time for something really out of this world. Yes. Talk to you later. Hi guys. Thanks so much guys. The Hub Thank is you. a community. Manuscript, book and print cultures, stamping provenance Languages towards the history of the Time of Year Library. As well as being heard. The Hub is a space. Contemplating Ireland through the communities this created by Coral The Hub is about impact. The Hub is for everyone. Here's to the next 10 years.